Welcome to Heavily Meditated, a podcast celebrating human potential. Meditations, interviews, tools, trainings, and more designed to take you higher. Let's raise the collective consciousness together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Heavily Meditated Podcast. This is Scott Roberts, co-founder and your host of the podcast. We are actually releasing this episode again. This was an episode with Dr. Kristen Donnelly that we originally released on March 29th. And the reason we're releasing it again is because uh, Dr. Donnelly is actually uh, going to South Lake Tahoe to deliver her first TEDx talk. Um, And the talk is actually centered around something that we cover in this interview. So I thought it was very timely and a perfect opportunity for us to revisit this talk that we had. Uh, She's actually going to be taking the TEDx stage to talk about how settling for tolerance has erased diversity and allowed us to fracture into silos instead of cultivating inclusivity and working towards cohesion. So it's definitely an idea that is worth spreading. That's why she's taking to the TEDx stage, and that's why we wanted to release this episode again. So take a listen. Um, As this is going to air on May 12th here in 2021, uh, she will be taking the stage today as we release this. So be sure to follow uh, through the links that we provided in the original show notes to catch up with Dr. Donnelly, find out exactly when that talk is going to be released and how you can learn more from her. All right. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoy this episode. And as always, looking forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Heavily Meditated Podcast. Thanks so much. Okay. We shall begin. We shall overcome. We shall indeed. (laughs) All right, here we go. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Heavily Meditated Podcast. I'm Scott Roberts, your host and the co-founder of the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. As always, it's great to have you here, and it's my pleasure and my honor today to have on the show Dr. Kristen Donnelly. She is actually an empathy educator, as well as a speaker and a researcher for two decades. Um, And she has experience in helping people understand the beauty and difference and the importance of inclusivity, which I think is something we could all use a lot of. So thank you so much for that work. Um, And then she's also one of the good director or the good doctors over at Abbey Research and the CEO of that uh, parent company. So uh, and I think uh, in your bio, you listed that you're also an, an uh, unapologetic nerd for stories of change. So I definitely want to hear all about that. Um, and I, doing the research on you and learning more about you, I got to see that you're also a bit of a fan of film and cinema. So that's something we'll have to talk about because that's a huge passion for me. So thank you so much for being here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's glad to have you here. Oh, gosh, it's such an honor to be here, Scott. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. So I, I'm I'm super excited for you to be here. Um, you know, like I mentioned in the intro, there's a lot of different things that you're doing with Abby Research, and also I know your YouTube channel as well. There's so much for us to cover, but I guess probably the best thing to do is maybe introduce yourself to our audience, let them know a little bit about yourself. I always make a joke, quick, you know, just introduce yourself, start at birth, and move quickly forward, and tell us your story. <laughs> Be happy to. The good news is that growing up in the evangelical church, you get really used to talking about yourself um, because that's a big part of that culture. So here is the the blow by blow tour. 
I am the oldest of two children, was born outside of Baltimore, and we moved to outside of Philadelphia when I was seven, when my father bought a manufacturing company that we still own, that I am now co-owner of with my brother. We manufacture dyes and colorants for the pharmaceutical and industrial spaces in particular. For instance, um, if you've ever taken Advil, the dye on the outside of that is ours. We make Mm -hmm. a stain that helps diagnose cancer. We also have divisions that make high-grade epoxies to fix the inside of ships when they're underwater. Um, and a whole host of other things. Um, Loved growing up outside of Philadelphia. I definitely consider myself a Philly girl and am proud of that. Um, I understand the implications that comes with, and I'm okay with it. I went to university. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, right? (laughs) There's always bad things and good things happen here all the time. So, and I will defend the true definition of a cheesesteak to the death. So, um, I went to gra- I went to undergrad in Kentucky and then afterwards spent a year living in Northern Ireland teaching sexual health education all around the province. That year changed my life on every trajectory possible, pretty much. Yeah. And I went and did t- uh, two master's degrees at Baylor University. And then when I was done at Baylor, I realized that I still had questions and they all had to do with Northern Ireland. So I moved back and did a PhD at the Queen's University of Belfast in Northern Ireland when I was there. Um, I met two of the most important people in my life, and one is my business partner, Aaron Hinson, and one is my husband, John Donnelly. And at the end of my time in Northern Ireland, not only did I birth a PhD, but I added those two as family, and I was really glad. Uh, John and I emigrated back to the United States in 2015 Hmm. to uh, take for me to take a part in the family business. My brother had been working in it for a couple of years full time at that point. And we had this crazy idea of using one of my master's degrees as a social work degree, I should say. And that's one of my most proud identities. I love being a social worker. And we wondered if I could come back and do HR from a social work perspective. And the idea that HR is primarily to protect the company. And as a family, our orientation is to impact lives and create wealth among our employees and our stakeholders. And so how could I help create emotional, uh, spiritual and psychological health within our and wealth within our employees? And could that work? And so I came back. We've been working on that experiment for five, six years now and really loving it. And in the meantime, I started a division of our giant family company called Abbey Research, where Dr. Hinson and I, Dr. Aaron, and I spend a lot of time asking questions and gathering stories and analyzing data all around this big, massive, unwieldy concept of inclusivity. Mm -hmm. And how do we shift the global conversations about diversity that the way we're having them aren't working, that's just not working. And how do we shift them to something that does work? And the main way that we do that is through cultural commentary that we provide on our YouTube channel about pop culture. You saw the cinema and the film and I love a good Netflix show. Yeah. Um, and um, and then also we do stuff about, um, you know, lived culture as well. Talking a lot about, for instance, um, we're doing a, a series this year called the Colonizers World Tour, where we are going around the world and spending a week in a country every week of this year, um, talking about how colonialization impacted and continues to impact them. And so how do we, how do we engage with this country? How does this country potentially engage with the rest of the world? Um, and what that kind of looks like. So it, it is large and un, like I said, it, it feels like an amoeba sometimes that we're trying to get our arms around. But both of us and then the rest of my family as well believe that if we don't try 
I don't know, we have this one wild and precious life, right? And what's worth yeah. it if we're not going to make everything around us better to the best of our ability. And so that's the blow by blow tour of, of me. I think I'm sh- I left yeah. some, some truly fantastic highlights out. Like the time I accidentally broke my lip cause I was trying to climb a counter to get a piece of chocolate. Um, but <laughs> we can leave those highlights for another time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fun. Cause you know, as I'm, as I'm listening to your story and I'm just hearing all the like, you know, diversity in your background, you know, as far as like what you've experienced, not just with, the work that you're doing, but also just everything. And and I think one of the things that stood out to me and I wanted to know more about was how you ended up in Ireland and how that affected your work. So sounds like that had a pretty profound effect on your life and your work. For sure. So I ended up, it's, I've ended up in Northern Ireland uh, because my, I spun a globe in a bookstore my junior year of college and my finger landed on Northern Ireland. um, And I was with, a friend who told me, I will bet you, we, we argue a little bit over this, but I think it was $500 for you to find a book about Northern Ireland that isn't about the war. <laughs> and I said, oh, I can totally do that. Oh, that's no problem. Like, I can totally do that in my very typical um, elitist, obnoxious, 20-year-old 20, 20 self. Uh, quickly discovered that at least in a bookstore in Lexington, Lexington Kentucky, it did not exist. The yeah. only books in that store about Northern Ireland were about the Troubles. And so I went home, Googled youth work jobs in Northern Ireland, applied to one site unseen and uh, moved over there. And so I worked with um, an or I went over there as a voluntary youth worker. um, And then I was taken, you know, sent to another like local indigenous organization that provided sexual health education. And what that meant was that I got to go to a different high school every just about every day. I was all wow. over the province. I was down in the south of Ireland a couple times, like along the border. And I went knowing nothing. I'm not Irish American. My family yeah. is Danish and Scottish. Um, I mean, I knew nothing. And I landed yeah. into one of the most complex places on the planet and yeah. learned really quickly how important it was to ask questions. Um, yeah. And sometimes to ask the same question to different people because you are going to get different answers. Mm-hmm. And what that looked like. And I learned the, the reality of holding pain and how holy that can be. Yeah. Um, in Northern Ireland in particular, there, there's a cultural relationship with Americans that is distinct from some other places because of our particular role in the conflict, both in providing arms for some of the paramilitaries, but also our government providing real support to the peace agreement. And there's a, a, lot, of, a lot of emotions around Americans and I would find, I'd find myself at a bar getting a 45 minute diatribe from somebody on our politics. Um, you know, somebody who had never left the island of Ireland, but knew everything about us kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I'd find in other, other days, I'd be sitting in, in, the, in a chip shop with somebody I'd never met, but all of a sudden I'm getting the entire story of what happened to them in 1972 because they know I'm safe. I don't have any skin in the game. I have no connection to any of the various, various sides um, of, of the various conflicts that happened. And so I was a really safe person. Yeah. And I also learned the real true value of the phrase understanding is not condoning. Mm -hmm. Um, I can explain. Yeah. uh, And, and it's one I have to relearn all the time, Scott, I'll be honest. Like, yeah, but 
I can explain to you the motivations of a lot of the people, a lot of the actors within that 30, 35 year armed conflict um, mm-hmm. that it is not over. It's just not armed necessarily. Right. And I can, I can understand all of that and I can empathize with quite a lot of the decisions and I can see where things are going, but um, I, I can't ever be okay with some of the decisions that people made. And empathy doesn't demand that I am. Right. And that's what's very freeing about doing life with people is recognizing that I don't have to approve of their decisions to understand or empathize with them. Mm. Yeah. I hope, I, you know, I hope everybody that's listening really catches on to that and, and, and hears that, that that is such an important aspect of it. Just because you understand what's going on, just because you feel emotion and you can feel even, you know, like forgiveness, understanding, whatever, any of that, it doesn't mean that you're saying that what someone has done is right or wrong. It just means that you understand and you can open up your heart and open up your mind so that you can hear their side of the story. Absolutely. And you may hear their side of the story and the narrative in your head is that is an absolute pile of crap and (laughs) uh, that's ridiculous. And the look on your face needs to instead be like, I get you. Yeah. I get yep. you. And there's, there's a discipline and a work in that. And I recognize that's the, the ability to do that is on a sliding scale for humans. I respect that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like what that province gave me the five years I lived there that was broken up by that time was constant practice in yeah. understanding, but not condoning, even in simple things. Like I joke all the time and I love Northern Ireland with my whole heart. I've never lived in the Republic, but I have a real, um, you know, a real affection for it. My husband yeah. um, is from Northern Ireland. Uh, he's mm. from County Tyrone for anyone listening. We lived in County Antrim. Um, and then his mom is, is from County Cavan and his dad's from County Tyrone. My people again are not from the Island. Um, yeah. I love that place with my whole heart, with my whole yeah. heart. It drives me up a wall and i joke all the time that northern ireland is allergic to efficiency and (laughs) jesus is it and there were times that i'd be in meetings and we would be on our like six and i knew if we had just had a like actual organization we would have been out of there in two yeah uh but it was important to whoever was in charge to that we did it their way and i had to sit with that and be like i can understand this i'm not okay with it and i still plant my flag in the not okayness (laughs) of this but it yeah. doesn't matter. I, I'm here and we're going to go along with it. And so that's, it's yeah. small ways and big ways um, for sure. And it taught me how to be friends with people that I will never agree with. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. And you know, it sounds like maybe a part of it is, is, you know, obviously you're empathetic. So you understand their situation. You understand why they made decisions that they've made and that sort of thing. But it's also maybe, you know, I hate to use the word tolerance, but it seems like there's that that plays into it is understanding. Like if you're able to understand where someone's coming from, it's easier to tolerate certain behaviors and not let it affect you as much. Potentially. But if I can push back on that word just a little yeah. bit. Yeah, that word yeah actually which, that's a charged me. word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that, I actually think that the minute you begin to engage with somebody at all, on any level, mentally or emotionally, you've moved past tolerance. 
Right. Because I think tolerance yeah. is entirely passive. Tolerance yeah. simply says yeah. you have the right to exist as another human being. It doesn't acknowledge the dignity of that other human being. It doesn't mm -hmm. really even truly engage with the, with the humanity of them. It just kind of yeah. says, I am not legally allowed to kill you. <laughs> right. Really is, is kind of all it says. Yeah, that's the yeah definition, basically. Yeah. But yeah. And so because we've celebrated tolerance for so long, I mean, how many mm -hmm. of our cars or dorm room doors had that purple sticker on it? And yep. not like because we celebrated that for so long, we've confused it with empathy and it's not. Right. Yeah. It's and we've well, confused it with diversity and it's not. Um, yeah. Tolerance is just I, I can't physically harm you. Right. And what we really need is instead what, I mean, and also it's not just Northern Ireland, like my life has taught me this and I'm silly, silly lucky that I had parents that were largely obsessed with introducing me to difference and yeah. forcing me my whole life to wrestle with difference and hold difference within me. Yeah. And I, that's, I mean, I just, I hit the lucky tree in a million ways and that's one of them. And yeah. so, so much of it is just, training yourself to be curious about difference instead of tolerant of it. Yeah. 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 And I think too, like, you know, you know, thinking of the word tolerate, I mean, mm -hmm. it basically means I allow you to exist. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it, you know, it seems like it's, 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 it's kind of almost, you know, hate, to say it, but almost like insulting to one another. I think I, it is. Yeah. So I've, you know, I've, I've, I've seen that term for so long, you know, tolerance, like zero tolerance is something a lot of people are familiar with, but, um, you know, people we in the corporate the, world. Yeah. And we pretend it's the opposite of intolerant, but I, right. I don't think it is. I mean, yeah. it might be in health, like your body is intolerant of gluten, like right. that's a violent reaction. Yeah. But I, what we see when, when you're not, when you refuse to be tolerant, what that actually is, is usually, um, you know, explosions of hate crimes or, yeah. you know, violence that happens. Intolerance is not an, a nonviolent word. And right. so by saying that those two things are, are kind of the, like, oh, it's, well, you're either tolerant or you're intolerant. I don't, I, don't, I think yeah. there's, I think it's a lot bigger than that. Mm -hmm. um, and as we as we record this, it happens to be, I don't know when your listeners will hear this, but it happens to be the the week of the shooting in Atlanta. And yeah. that particular young man was not intolerant of of Asian right. women. That right. is not what drove him to do that. Um, right. But neither was he tolerant of them. Right. And, and so that's that's why kind of I'd love to get rid of that word. I know I yeah. can't. I'm not the empress of the planet. Um, but, but, but Dr. Aaron be. and I work really hard to, to help people shift their thinking about that word. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. Yeah. That's something that, you know, I wanted to bring up because I felt like that would be something that you could shed some light on and, 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 and definitely kind of change maybe the, you know, the language and you know, the way, cause I, cause I hear it so much and I'm like, is that really the correct word to be using? So. Yeah, I just true. think we can have a better one. Like, I mean, English yeah. is lame. It's not nearly as expressive as a lot of other languages. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. But we do have a couple more tools in our tool belt than we're using. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's try. Yeah. Let's go beyond the blanket term. <laughs> yeah. Like, I let's, promise yeah. we can go beyond bumper stickers. I, like, I, I yeah. promise. And we have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, and, and so I know we had, we had, 
we had discussed a little bit about film. And one thing I was going to say on that, you brought up how you felt very, very fortunate that your, you know, your family taught kind of diversity and, you know, seeing things differently and that sort of thing. And, and, it, and it's funny, I feel like the reason why I have such a huge love affair with film and television, that sort of thing is because that was what taught me how to be more diverse than what I was experiencing at home and in my peer community. I grew up in rural South and let's just say that it wasn't exactly the most diverse and culturally accepting place to grow up. And so what I was seeing most of the time was, you know, exclusivity, discrimination, racism, sexism, all the, all the good isms. And so it was like film that I started watching. And I'm like, wow, this, there is a whole other world out there of people that aren't like the people that I'm experiencing right now. And there's ideas out there that are so much bigger than what I'm hearing. And so that's why I have such a love for film because that was kind of what taught me. Now you could get into the, you know, the intricacies of how programming works and all that sort of thing. And there's yeah, probably there's not, you know, a, they're great, but yeah. Yeah. But humans learn best through stories. It's yeah, every single yeah. bit of our brain is wired to learn through stories. Even people who learn best through numbers, it's the stories, the numbers tell you it's, yeah. it's how we learn things. And I mean, that's uh, Dr. Aaron. And I cover movies not made in America as often as humanly mm-hmm. possible entirely because art is how s- cultures tell stories about themselves. Yeah. And yeah. we want to experience those. So I completely agree. I learned that too. Mine was also theater. I was a, again, silly, lucky enough to live, to grow up outside of Philadelphia. So we had theater in Philly and also Broadway was a hop, skip and a jump. And so I was 11 when I saw Miss Saigon for the first time. I never, it never even occurred to me that the, I mean, I was 11 that the Vietnam war could be problematic. I was 11 again. Um, But that changed my whole, that changed so much about my life and books that I've read. And yeah, my, my mother's an English major and my father's an accountant. Um, by training and Mm -hmm. they both believe in the necessity of stories and and the power of stories and yeah I'm I'm so glad you had that outlet I'm so glad that you were able to see um, not only people who maybe felt and thought like yourself but people who thought and felt differently on the screen and could access a world outside of your town yeah and I think that's you know that's probably one of the most important aspects is that I was exposed to people who looked, felt, and thought differently than mm-hmm. me and differently than, you know, the people that I was surrounded with the majority yeah. of the time. So, well, and that, and, and so that makes me come back to a point you made earlier about how this year you're planning on doing um, a week in 52 different places. Is that correct? Is that what we started in March? So we're big believers in learning by doing. And so (laughs) as we were, as we were, as we were approaching the one year anniversary of the COVID, we were trying (laughs) to figure out kind of what we, we wanted just like so many other people, like our journey through that year period was like kind of weird and we didn't really ever know what was going on. And we were like, how often do we plan? What do we do? And as we hit the middle of February, we'd been doing some cultural months. Um, Mm -hmm. Like my family's Danish. And so we spent a whole month doing documentaries about Denmark um, and covering them. And we were both talking about um, having a conversation, honestly, about the movie Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Um, And talking about Mm -hmm. how, again, how we feel like we're grieving Chadwick Boseman's passing, like, continually and we were talking about the joke the joke that his sister that the character's sister makes in the movie where she calls the white guy colonizer and Mm -hmm. 
and Dr. Aaron and I were like, man, we should chase that word a little bit more. Like yeah. there, there cannot be that many countries like that haven't been colonized. Well, we discovered that there are three countries that have never been colonized by Europe or the United States. There are three. And once wow. we found that out, it was like, okay, no, we have to have this conversation. So yeah. March through through the end of uh, December, we will be spending a week in a country. Um, and then I'm sure the ones that we haven't caught will do in 2022. But the rest of this year, yeah. So um, we just finished filming the week that we spent in Iran for instance. Um, And we're heading to Saudi Arabia next. So uh, my training is in sociology of religion and gender and her training is in gender and imprisonment. Um, And so she's an anthropologist. I'm a sociologist. We see a lot of things with just slightly different lenses. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we try to bring a lot of that curiosity to the analysis. Um, But it's also been a lot of us texting back and forth being like, why was I never taught this? Why don't I know this? Like, this is insane. Why don't I know about this? Um, And being really, really grateful for YouTube creators who put up histories of countries in 30 minutes, (laughs) (laughs) giving us us a a summary really quickly. Uh, But yes, it's, it's because, I mean, I'm only spending, I don't know, three, four days mentally with some of these countries and I'm Mm -hmm. eminently changed, eminently changed about my perception of those, of those places, which I have admittedly, and many of your listeners may be the same, allowed the American news media to be how I perceive those countries. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a fault of my lack of curiosity. And I'm looking to, um, to atone for that. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's such a, that's such an amazing place to be is when you're, when you're really ready to, to start learning about different cultures. I, I was fortunate enough that through weird circumstances, my, my older brother had friends that just happened to have come from Ecuador, um, which was very unusual for where we live. So that was a very fortunate circumstance that was brought into my life. And that got me really interested in Spanish culture. And so early on, I started studying Spanish. And originally when I first started college, I was going because I wanted to be a Spanish teacher. I changed cool. majors eventually, but but still, it's how many uh, of us? So how many of us graduate with art with what we <laughs> right? right. I ended up, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of had a joke like when I was in my I don't know late twenties and still going to school. I was like, maybe I should, you know, just try and finish up here because <laughs> I just kept kept going and kept studying different new things and getting excited, but but. But so, yeah, like learning about Spanish culture was a huge thing for me. And that's when I first started learning about colonization yeah. and all the lovely stuff that can come along with that. So would love to hear a little bit more about your experience with that. And I know I want to talk about the YouTube channel as well, because I started, you know, uh, watching all the videos that you're doing on that. Those are amazing. So I'd love to hear more about that. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So colonization is super fun and we don't talk about it enough. Um, yeah. And we also, at least I'll speak for, um, okay, so I was born in 1983 and I went to really, really good schools outside of Philadelphia. So I think I had um, a fairly typical um, or even above average older millennial education. So that's, I, I you know, I, I can, co- I feel confident in saying that. Yeah. The first time I learned that the United, I learned about the Trail of Tears, mm-hmm. I was 15. That's to me way too late to learn about that now. 
the first time I thought there was anything wrong with the name of the football team from Washington was probably four years ago. Yeah. Really? When I connected those dots, the first time I understood that there, there wasn't just the British East India company that colonized things was probably in college. And none of those things were consistently or consciously taught to me. They were things I picked up on. Right. And I grew up, again, outside of Philadelphia, the number of times I had been to Betsy Ross's house and the de- and, and Independence Hall. And I can recite you most of the Declaration of Independence because that was a seventh grade project. Like yeah. I have been seeped in what it means to be an American and the reverence for the founders and the American dream and the American experiment. And like, it's one of the reasons Hamilton does resonate so much with me because there are pieces of it, I believe so strongly. Yeah. But I was never taught that we were awful. Yeah. And I was also taught that racism only existed in the American South. Um, yeah. It's definitely taught that it ended when uh, Dr. King had a dream on a, on the steps, <laughs> you know, like all of these things that are just way too simplistic. Um, yeah. And I, I did, had no idea about economic colonization. I didn't understand about what that, what it meant to have yeah. industries in different countries where all of the resources were sent back to other countries and they weren't used to enhance local stuff. Again, I grew up in the church, so I, I didn't learn about the, bad side of missions. I was only right. ever taught about the incredible side of missions. Um, and now I've, I've studied religious anthropology and the history of, of the Christian missionary movement. And I can confidently say that there were some really great things, but yeah. overall it was, whew, it was a swing and a miss from a <laughs> perspective. Um, yeah. And all of those things, I think I just kind of every, my reaction to something that I've never heard before is I have to learn absolutely everything about that immediately. Um, Mm -hmm. which is incredibly, it goes hand in hand with my high level of insomnia, um, (laughs) but, and my high anxiety, but I get this like, oh my God, I should have known that I am this person of incredible privilege. I have access to all of the information in the world. My first, I was one of my first friends with a smartphone in 2008. Mm -hmm. Like I can access this. I should know this. Um, So, and I think a lot of that was landing into Northern Ireland completely sight unseen. And I happened to be there at at a particular time where there were riots happening that were a little abnormal. And I just remember getting stuck in a cafe because there was a bus on fire. And I was like, well, okay. I don't know why this is happening. Um, I should probably find out. So I don't end up on fire. It would just Mm -hmm. be a good idea. Um, So as I increasingly learn more, I need to really thank my my, two of my professors um, at the Baylor University School of Social Work, Dr. John Singletary and Dr. Gaynor Yancey, who taught me a lot about my whiteness and that Mm -hmm. whiteness was a thing um, and not just that whiteness was a race. Um, And we're talking about that in 2007, 2008 to me when it was mind blowing um, and how important that was. And then my professor at uh, Baylor Seminary, Dr. Mike Stroop, who had lived all over the world and seen what love looked like in different cultures mm-hmm. and could oh, assure yeah. me of the, in, the humanity and dignity of everybody and could have on, and taught me how to have honest conversations of when you show up in a new place, what are you bringing and what are you stealing from the local people, both as a tourist, um, as an expat, how do you add and not subtract to whatever experience you're in? Um, and with him, I got to travel through India and look at what colonization looked like in both North and South India and yeah. have conversations with people about what, what colonization robbed India of 
Um, and same with a lot of countries in sub-Saharan Africa that I've gotten to work with. And I am, I know I am just beginning my anti-colonialization work. And there are, there are ways that I have benefited from colonialization being an American that I can never apologize, like atone for truly, but I'm going to do my best. Um, yeah, because, because essentially any country that has ever had power has tried to colonize somewhere else and has been terrible. Yeah. And that's just kind of what it, how it works. Yeah. And that's why, you know, obviously, you know, when you're talking about traveling and, you know, getting to know different cultures and that sort of thing, I think, you know, obviously the work that you're doing around diversity and inclusivity really, really comes from, I think, a couple different places. And, and one is that is that natural sense that we have of doing the right thing. Yeah. So we, we naturally, you know, want to be the best version of ourselves. We naturally want to include everyone and it's through social programming, all those sort of yeah, things. That, that we the reason up, that we don't, yeah. We're yeah. children in, inherently include and they're taught to right. exclude. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah, love, love that you're doing this work and, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to totally derail that part of the conversation, but <laughs> I, I can't stop still thinking about earlier when I was doing research and I was looking at the videos on your YouTube channel and was learning more. I, I you know, I saw that you did all these, um, I guess, uh, um, episode reviews of Bridgerton. Oh, yes. Everybody yes, that's very, listening very out there. Yes. You got to jump on their YouTube channel. They've got some really great, there's probably some spoiler alerts in there somewhere, but. For sure. For sure. And we've read the books too. So, and we're upfront about that as well. So um, we can't not talk about the books. So, but we have a ton of fun. Um, And those episodes as well, for people who aren't YouTube watchers, we respect that. They will be released as podcasts later on this year. Oh, cool. All right. Great. But make sure to like the channel and um, find me on socials so that you know when that happens for sure. But we are going to throw them out as podcasts because a lot of people are like, I can't watch YouTube, but we'd like to hear you talk about the Dukes. We're like, okay. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I know we were talking before we came on, you know, that this is being recorded on Zoom as a video, but we're doing these as podcasts. But obviously down the road, the plan is that we'll start doing these as YouTubes because, you know, for me, I, you know, I love film I love YouTube that sort of thing I spend probably a crazy amount of time on apps like YouTube as well as you know let's be honest being a mountain biker I spend a lot of time on Red Bull TV um, I would think so yeah YouTube as well on there yeah so you know all about the platforms but I you know I love that you're being diverse and that you're offering on different platforms and offering different things. So, so real quick, um, we want, uh, you know, obviously we're going to put everything in the show notes for everybody, but just real quick while everybody's listening and they can jump on that YouTube channel, where, where can they find you there on that YouTube channel? Pretty easy. YouTube.com forward slash Abby and our Abby is spelled A B B E Y research, all one word. And, uh, you'll find us there. The Good Doctors, we have literally hundreds of videos. We have around yes. 5,000 hours of content on a whole lot of different things. We're also covering The Handmaid's Tale. We've done episode, episode wow. of the first three seasons, and we'll do it again for season four. We've done The Crown. Um, mm. We've also covered some more un- under-the-radar shows like Miss Scarlet and the Duke, Unbelievable, Unorthodox, Um Pretty much anything that talks is either made by women or talks about women, we try mm. to talk about it. So that's awesome. 
Yeah, and that's yeah, I yeah, haven't been able to bring myself to watch the Handmaid's Tales just a little too intense God, for me, but I know it's good, but that's you know what it is. Season one is incredible. Uh, Diminishing returns, and this is no secret to anybody who who ever watches our channel. Diminishing returns, seasons two, three, and potentially four. But season one is definitely, if you are at all interested in the intersections of how religion, how institutional religion differs from faith, and how institutional religion functions when it is a theocracy it's a great Mm -hmm. meditation on those things if you don't care about either one of those things it's a rough watch and you can do something else yeah 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 we uh yeah here in our home we instituted a strict rom-com only in a rule we uh years and years ago we let a friend talk us into going to the theater to watch I, i i don't remember which version it was but this is in halloween Years and years ago, somebody talked us into going watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. It was one that I think it had Jessica Biel in it, oh, which was one no, of the things we're, no like, we're like, oh, wow, yeah, she's like a wholesome actress. Let's see how this goes. It was like one of the most horrific experiences we oh ever God, had in God. our lives. Like we, 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 we literally had trouble sleeping for days after seeing it. And, and I felt like I had been pulled into some horrific... Yeah. It, it it was just one of the worst experiences we ever had. Oh. And after that, we said, you know, I, I don't know why we're doing this to ourselves. Because, you know, before that, we we watched all the like Rob Zombie type stuff and really hardcore Tarantino stuff and, and just all these violent movies. And, and, you know, we suddenly had the realization that, you know, this probably isn't actually enhancing my life. It's, yeah. you know, yes, it's interesting to get sucked into that level of misery and all that. But yeah now it's strictly rom-coms it's either comedy or rom-com that's all we watch (laughs) i love it i yeah i'll say people ask me i read a lot uh i love reading and people ask me if i've read like the latest man booker prize or whatever and i'm like i got over reading about people being miserable a long time ago so (laughs) like yeah i i i understood a couple years ago and the greatest gift i I could give myself is to not care about what society thinks of as important to literature if it Mm -hmm. doesn't also make me happy so i have not read anything that's won a pulitzer prize in the last 10 years and i'm okay with that so yeah 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 actually that that kind of made me think of when i was in college and you know i was going through lots of different english classes since i was part English major, part business psychology, all sorts of that. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but so I read a lot. And, and the thing that I always had a real issue with was like when you would be assigned something to read and then your, your assignment was to then explain what the author meant and all that. And so I would give my interpretation of what I thought they were talking about. Yeah. And then I was graded and told, no, that's not what the author was trying to say. I'm like, well, you're not the author, first off. <laughs> Secondly, why can't my opinion be just as valid as yours or anybody else's? I read the thing, you know, I, I certainly have emotions. I've educated myself so that I can actually explain these things. But yeah, that was always one of the hard parts I had with that part of the process. Yeah, it was one of the reasons I wasn't an English major, because I wasn't great oh. at trying to figure out what dead people meant when they wrote words on trees. So yeah. yeah, it just wasn't my one of my jam. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get back into some of the work you do around inclusivity and diversity. <gasps> um, one thing I really want to hear about is you know the work that you're doing over at Abbey Research, and then maybe put this in your you know the back of your mind to think about like how 
obviously we're on the heavily metadata podcast. So we're always yep. trying to figure out how mindset works and everything. And I'm, I'm curious how, you know, maybe our listeners can, can learn any sort of interesting techniques, tools, trip, uh, you know, tips, anything like that, that might teach them how mindset work and that sort of thing can actually play into those, you know, ideals of inclusivity and diversity. That is an absolutely fabulous question. Um, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, um, especially in the last couple of years as mindfulness is such a buzzword um, yeah. and trying to, trying to think out, um, you know, your listeners don't know, but we talked about before that mindfulness to me and, and mindset and meditation, kind of all those things are really connected to the idea of worldview. Yeah. And how do you want to interact with the world? And I know that mindfulness is often very like inner centered. And yeah. my answer about inclusivity is that you also have to be exteriorly centered, um, which sounds really strange, but the best way I know how to do it is to decenter yourself from your own life experience. Mm -hmm. Now you have to hold that intention with taking care of yourself, which is where I always fall down. I'm terrible at self-care because I am very others focused. Mm -hmm. um, and then the way I kind of balance that is to surround myself with people who are very, very good at reminding me that I am a human being and not a human doing, and I need to rest and, and experience those things and kind of center myself again and kind of check in. But my primary orientation to the world is that I am not necessarily the most important person in any room that I am in. My experiences are not the most important ones. There are times that my opinions do not need to be shared at the table I'm at that my, my interpretations of the world are not by default correct. And some of your listeners may be thinking like, oh, well, I think those things. And I want to push back just very gently and say, do you actively not think those things? Do you right. actively remember to remove yourself? Because even if you're like, I'm a selfless person and mm -hmm. I, I want to do this, our, has our internal need to be important, which is one of the human things, will yeah. often override your discipline to decenter yourself. Yeah. And so there are, this is especially true on social media, just um, in speaking about, um, in speaking about gender in particular for just a moment, you'll mm -hmm. see women on social media talking about, you know, the fear of male violence and yeah. immediately underneath the responses will be a whole bunch of men that are like, but not me, not me, not all men, not me. Yeah. And it's like, okay, no, okay, chickens, no one was coming into your house and, mm -hmm. and telling you that, you know, okay, I don't, you aren't need, you don't need to be here right now. Yeah. Like you don't need to be here right now. And even most importantly, I would love that the next time, like, this is how I often want to respond to these people, those, those gentlemen on Twitter is the next time you want to type that I want you to sit and think about all the times you may have been that guy. Yep. I want you to sit and think about all the times that you leered at a woman all the time that you made a sex joke about somebody all the times that you waited for Taylor Swift to be of age and how gross that was all of the, I mean, like it, it was super gross, but it was culturally acceptable to joke about. And yeah. I want you to think about how you talked about Monica Lewinsky. And I want you to think about, I want you to think about all those things because internalized misogyny is a hell of a drug and we yeah. all have it. And so but in that moment, in that tweet, when you sent that tweet, you invited yourself to a conversation you didn't need to be a part of. Yeah. 
And so if you could think, so some of us can think about it that way. I know that I don't need to be a part of certain conversations. And there are other conversations that I know my experience is exceptionally valid. If there is a conversation happening about body size on the internet or in my friend circle, I will be a part of that one because it is a big part of who I am in public that I am open about the fact that my body is larger than society would often like it to be. And it has been my whole life. I was caught up in the diet culture for 20 odd years. I've had bariatric surgery because I thought I had to. My relationship with food is all very complicated and difficult. Um, and I know exactly what people on the internet think of my body. I know what people on the street think of my body. I'm good. And so if there's a conversation happening about that, I will center my narrative because often it is the one that is being decentered. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't need to be a part of a conversation about race because I'm very, very white. And I yeah. don't need to be a conversation about economic oppression because I am not currently in that position, nor have I been. I don't, I don't know that life. And so the yeah. best thing I can do is amplify the voices that do know that life and mm. do know that story. And so that's what I mean by decentering yourself. Yeah. Also, if your knee-jerk reaction to something is they must be dramatic, they must be lying, that is not right, they're being, you know, if your knee-jerk yeah. reaction is something, which again is totally normal, very, yeah. very normal, I still do it, was actually talking to Dr. Aaron about that, about a knee-jerk we had about somebody we interacted with last week, and checking mm -hmm. ourselves and seeing if our knee-jerk was correct, or if it was based in a bias, um, yeah. and we decided our, that our knee jerk happened to be correct, but we had to do the work to make sure that it wasn't out of a bias. And so right. all of this makes life more complicated. It means that nearly everything takes more time and emotional energy. But I will tell you that in the past five, six years that I have intentionally been doing it as a discipline, because for me, the discipline is also to still center myself. For other people, right. it will be to decenter themselves. So the balance of those things is the discipline. And I don't think any of us know it naturally. It's always a practice. Right. Um, and it's a big part of my yoga intentions when I do practice yoga to practice that internal balance with the, with the balance of my body as well, which I'm not great at. But as I've been intentionally kind of speaking into the universe that I'm going to practice this way of thinking for about eight years now, honestly, I've never regretted it. Yeah. Not for a moment. I've been tired. I am, I identify as tired. Um, I feel angry a lot because I keep learning things. I feel like I should have known. I'm grieved. I feel like all the time, I just feel like I'm, I'm prostrate on the floor before my, the, my version of a higher power and screaming about how can this still be? Um, but I don't want to go back to centering myself all the time. Right. I don't want to go back to that. It was damaging for mm -hmm. my relationships. And also it was counterintuitive to the person I want to be in the world, which is a change agent. And how can I be a change agent if I pretend that I'm the only one who knows what I'm talking about? So yeah. that's, that's how mindset connects for me. Mm -hmm. um, I shared with you offline, meditation is very difficult for me. It's not something that I can engage with. It's a practice I would, I would love to have in theory. I have a lot of trauma and baggage around um, prayer and what that looked like growing up and how I was told to engage with it when I was growing up. And I wasn't ever allowed to develop my own practice around right. silence. Yeah. Um, and so now combine that with in incredibly heavy medication for anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. And a lot of kind of stuff that I know I should work through therapeutically. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. A yeah. lot of my meditation looks like um, 
watching documentaries that I need to watch and sitting with the pain of other people. That's how I do it best Mm -hmm. um, is creating space in my life to sit with other people's pain. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it sounds like from everything that I hear from you that, you know, you're, you're, you're very much similar to many people in my life that, you know, I've met over the years that, that have a little bit of compassion fatigue because you're caregivers, you know, you're, you're, you're other focused. So, you know, you, you know, tend not to spend too much time on yourself and you instead, you know, work on the needs of others. And so if anybody's listening to this right now and hears that, you know, here's what, you know, uh, you're saying, what I, what I really want them to know is that it's all a process and we always had a joke in yoga that, you know, it's called yoga practice for a reason and not yoga perfect. Yeah. You know, it is a practice. And part of that practice is being okay with wherever you are at the moment and realizing that you don't have to fit into the quote unquote perfect mold of what you should be as far as your mindset. It's yeah. always a practice. It's always a journey. And no matter where you are, where you are is perfect and where you want to go is perfect. And it's all just steps to get to where you want to be and just trying to live up to the ideal of your perfect self. And that doesn't have to mean that it's perfect in somebody else's eyes, but more in your own heart. So it's the Westernization of yoga, I think has stolen a lot of that grace from all, Mm -hmm. from all of us. My first public. I thought it was just so I could get a good looking butt. I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe let goats climb all over you. Um, you Oh man. My first public yoga practice was after a really a serious health incident with my father. Um, Mm. And I, I had some friends who were yoga practitioners and had been some of the more certified instructors And they just kept saying, like, we think this will be really important for you. We'd really love you to try this. And I kept pushing back and saying, like, no, I can't be quiet for that long. Or no, my body's too big. Or no, I don't bend that way. Or all those kind of things. And a friend of mine finally, finally essentially said, if I find you a studio in your area that promises me that that no one will shame you for your body, will you go? And I said, sure. So I went and I got into warrior two and began to sob so hysterically. I could not get out of child for the rest of the hour. Yeah. And I just, and I felt ashamed. I had failed at yoga. It was terrible. And the instructor was so gentle and just came over and said, like, I'm glad that your practice included grief today. Yeah. And that changed my entire life. And I'm mm. still not great at public practice. I'll just be honest, because all that baggage of, sh- of all of that baggage is still there. It didn't magically go away because one person was nice to me. Um, yeah. And so I tend to practice alone. Um, even yeah. before the COVID, I tend to practice in my living room. Yeah. But showing up every day to the mat with whoever I am that day being valid is the biggest yeah. fight of my daily life. But the one I know yeah. I have to do. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's such a huge issue. And, you know, it's, you know, I don't want to say it's, it's, it's funny, but because I've had the experience myself and I think so many people that I've taught in class and so many people that I've practiced with in, in a class, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't, I don't really practice that much in public studios anymore. There's many reasons around that part of it has to do with the fact that we owned a yoga mat company for a while. And there were certain, uh, 
Yikes. Just safe yeah. pressures around practicing oh, when you do that. So anyway, but, but it's funny, like for, for men, there's a very much of a body shaming that happens when men go to class because men typically have not focused their lives on being flexible the way that some women have. Again, generalizations, but no, but it's very true, and it's about cultural values and who is supposed yeah. to be flexible and who's supposed to be rigid, and that's just cultural expectation. Yeah, and it's you know for you know for men, you know especially with Western yoga, mm -hmm. it is very much kind of a performance of your physical ability, oh, and gosh. so you go into a yoga class and you've and you've worked out, you've exercised, and all that. You go in there, and then you realize inflexibility isn't that big of a thing. Like nobody's going to really shame you that much for being inflexible. But then when you're this supposedly strong guy and you can't hold poses that other people are holding that look much smaller than you or much bigger than you or much, you know, less muscular than you or whatever. And suddenly there you are, you're shaking and you can't hold a posture. And, you know, there's that whole, internal dialogue you have with yourself that oh my god you know, i'm failing at this because i because i should be able to do what this person over here is doing yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah That's it's just a a, it's, i've not heard that before thank you for sharing that that changed that shifted my mindset so thank you for that yeah it's you know so one of the most profound experiences i had as a yoga teacher was that i had a student that would come to what was like level one class so it wasn't right truly beginner. It was probably one of the hardest level one, you know, like asana practices you'll ever do for most people, but, but it was called a level one, but she would always come to this class and she was, she was a larger woman by nature, but she also, I'm, I'm trying to be as gentle as I can about this, but she had rather large breasts. And so that's that was thing, a concern man. for her. Yeah. That was, yep, that was, thing. yeah. So she's like, well, yeah, I, I understand what people are saying when they say get into this posture, but you don't understand. There's certain physical things that prevent me from doing that. As a, <laughs> it's not, it's not an inflexibility. It's you know that. Yeah, there. I just have I have far too much flesh in the front of my body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like I I I I understand the concept of the posture you want me to get into, but there's physical things happening. that are going to prevent yeah. me from doing that. So just know yeah. that. But it was so amazing because she came to the same class all the time. And it's, you know, it was the same basic postures every time we, we did certain variations, but it was pretty much the same. But she had a, a, a very advanced practice for somebody that was coming to that level class. Okay. And finally, after, I don't know, it was probably like a dozen or so times that she came to the same class. I'm like, you know, you have a, a, a really amazing physical practice. You're in you know great shape. You're very flexible, you know, especially for somebody that's, you know, well endowed as yourself. Um you know, have you considered like taking some of the harder, more challenging classes? And she let me know that she actually uh, had a few different uh, ailments that prevented her from being in hotter classes and that some of the postures in the more physically challenging classes just weren't accessible to her. And, you know, she really enjoyed coming to that class. And then probably the most amazing thing about it all was that I always felt very self-conscious teaching someone with such an advanced practice, the same practice all the time. Oh, um, you know, just thought that there wasn't really much that she could learn from right. the same class and me saying the same poses all the time. Um, and, and it wasn't until maybe like two years down the road, she had been coming to the same class all the time. And her husband came with her once the first time. 
And he told me about how she talked about me all the time and said, the mm -hmm. things I said just changed her life. And, you know, oh, she was so, so much so happier and all that. Yeah, it, it, it was amazing to me. And, and I think that's kind of when things started to shift in my mind around what, what really being mindful in your practice and what your yeah. version of yoga or whatever you want to call it yeah. is. There's so many different avenues for everybody and there's so many different styles. And so, yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping everything that we do with the show is always about in our own way, trying to teach inclusivity and diversity yeah. with teaching people that there's a different way to meditate than they may have thought. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a certain formula. So that's why I, I really wanted to get you on today to, you know, to have this conversation. So yeah, thank you for, you know, shedding some light on things that I needed to understand better. And I think our, I'm hoping our listeners hear what you've said and have that, have that same reaction as well. It's an honor. Um, you know, one of the things that I live by in my life is that different people are different yeah. and that um, everyone is more complicated than you give them credit for. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that's what, that's a great story about that, that that woman had whole parts of her existence that you knew nothing about. And yeah. That's always going to be true. Um, Dr. Aaron and I were teaching a class a couple weeks ago for this incredible group of interns we're working with. And we had kind of put a, put them in boxes because you do when you're a teacher, you just do. Um, yeah. And we thought we knew this one student and we thought we kind of knew everything about her. We adored her. Everything was great. And then she shared this really personal story that shifted so much of how we thought about her. And like, mm -hmm. we got off the Zoom call and Dr. Aaron and I just looked at each other and went, did not see that coming. Yeah. Okay. And it was this yeah. incredible gut check reminder of like, I don't know these kids. Yeah. I don't know their lives. And she didn't yeah. owe me that part of her. Yeah. I hadn't built a relationship with her yet to where she owed me that. And we talk a lot about vulnerability and Brene Brown is one of our like Mount Rushmore mentors. And she talks a lot about, about vulnerability. And one of the things that, that I think is an important part in the vulnerability conversation is that there are, there are people in your life that have not earned pieces of you yet. Right. You can always be your authentic self and still hold some stuff back if they haven't earned that yet. Yeah. And so a big part of inclusivity is always holding that true too. It takes a lot of time, energy, intention, love, grace, patience, fierceness, justice, all of those words to truly be able to experience all of someone. Yeah. Like I am in a covenantal marriage relationship with my husband for eight years. Mm -hmm. And there is huge things about me. I know I just haven't told him yet. Yeah. And it's not, it's maybe subconsciously, I don't trust him enough yet, but consciously I would tell you that I do, that he knows everything about me. I know that's not true. Yeah. Because I haven't done the work to actually share that. And Dr. Aaron and I are in a co covenant friendship. She's my other life partner in a lot of ways. Yeah. And she yeah. knows she has more pieces of me than my husband does because they yeah. are different people and they receive those pieces differently. I am yeah. myself with both of them all the time. I love them yeah. both in different ways, obviously. Yeah. And I am attached to them in different ways, but they get different pieces of me. And right. that's, and I mean, like we talk about like single serving friends, you know, you, you share more with strangers on airplanes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but that's, if we hold all that together, everybody is more complicated than you think they are. Yeah. Different people are different. That's a good thing. 
And if you, and then in, in some relationships, not everyone, your goal should be to earn the pieces you don't know yet. Yeah. And that's kind of the mindset orientation I would recommend if you want to be me, just kidding. Um, But if you, if you see, if you want to see the world the way that I do, that's how I think about it. That's how I think about the world. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, think about the power of that, like going into any interaction with anyone else with the mindset of how can I like be open to listening to that Mm -hmm. person, be open to hearing their story, giving them a way to share their story and doing so without judgment. I mean, we can't be completely 100% free of judgment. It's just probably never going to happen, but doing the work, the inner work on yourself to know that it's going to be my natural intention or, you know, it's Mm going to be my natural instinct to judge this person, to label them, you know, that's how our mind works. Our mind wants to label things. Our mind wants to compartmentalize yeah, things. It makes it easier. Yeah. Like we, have, we also have to decide who's safe and who's not real quick. It's a, yeah. it's a guttural survival instinct. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you're walking down the street and someone comes towards you wearing a hoodie and a mask these days, it's more, it's more, you know, expected because, you know, we've got COVID people are wearing masks, but you know, not so long ago, if you saw someone walking down the street, wearing a hoodie and a mask coming towards you, you, you would probably have a pretty good instinct to get away from them, but Some now it's become sure. even more and, challenging. Yeah. And other people would see a hoodie and a mask and think that that was normal and be really freaked yeah. out by somebody with hair extensions and driving a Lexus. Like it's all <laughs> like we yeah. all are a bucket of our own prejudices and totally. our own privileges. And we're yeah. all like, that's the beautiful thing about really talking about inclusivity instead of diversity. Cause we are all already diverse. Like this yeah. conversation is a diverse conversation because you and I right. carry different oppressions and privileges. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of talking about, tolerance and diversity, we get to talk about inclusivity instead, which begins to be a celebration of every entity of who you are. You get to bring all of you to any conversation Mm -hmm. and not just the pieces that you think are socially appropriate. And that's work. And it's a whole lot of work. It is very, very hard. I'm not saying it's not, but it's also super simple. It's just deciding that everybody is an actual human being and not a checkbox list of things that you've decided in your head. And so people get to be messy and contradictory. We are significantly more comfortable with television characters being anti-heroes than people in our own lives. And we need to, like, if Don Draper was worthy of love, then so is the person who pisses you off in your office. And we we need to work more towards that and holding, yeah, holding that everybody, it's the, listening to other people is the greatest training a social worker, my social worker gave me. Yeah. I love being a social worker because mm-hmm. it taught me to be curious and to not just wait for someone else to stop talking. Right. <laughs> that's so, that's so, that's so funny because so we, when I first started deciding that I would try and do interviews for the podcast, when we first started the podcast, we originally were primarily focused on, all right, well, we'll just provide meditations for everybody showing that there's different styles of, you know, um, all yeah. sorts of types of, of meditation that you yeah. can do. And that it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to lock yourself in a monastery and, you know, meditate for five hours a day to be successful at meditating. So that was part of our thing. But, but then the other part of it was that we wanted to bring on interviews. But, but what I really noticed so often when I would watch interviews is that 
the person doing the interviewing very rarely actually listened to what the other person was saying. <laughs> they would they would cut them off, and you know you could tell it was like just sitting there waiting, like you know they're leaning forward. You can see the words forming in their mouth as they're like, "Come on, be quiet long enough for me to." <laughs> you know? So I was like, "All right, how can I actually do these interviews and just listen and actually you know learn what the other person's saying?" So that's always been challenging for somebody like me who loves to talk <laughs> it's it's a yeah i mean obviously i love to talk to but i think it's actually a gift for those of us in that way because they give us the next thing to talk about that might be even richer than what we already thought so if you listen yeah. really intensely and you listen yeah. into with your whole body whatever that looks like for you yeah. personally you can deepen your conversation and talk mm -hmm. more if yeah. by listening well and having richer interactions you're not cutting someone off or making assumptions or devaluing them by simply waiting for them to be quiet. And that shift in thinking for me helped me to be quieter and to yeah. listen more. Um, it also is a discipline and a practice like everything is. Humanity is a practice. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. Um, but listening to tones of voice and yeah. listen and watching faces and yeah. Um, you know, online communication is difficult because you don't have those things, but you can still read well without reacting. You can still yeah. practice some of these things, but it is the best interviewers in the world are the best listeners. That's why Oprah is so good is that she does yeah. the work of at least visually listening and we can all be there yeah. listening with her. And that's, if you are somebody listening who wants to be better at interviewing, my best advice always is to watch people who are good at it Yeah, and yeah. pay attention to it's the same way. If you want to be a better writer, read more. If you want to be a, like all of that kind of stuff is find other people that are good at it and learn what they do well and then incorporate yeah. it into your own, your own practice. But a lot of it is listening with grace, patience, and curiosity. And mm -hmm. it will, it'll change your life. Well, that's beautiful. I like that. <laughs> that's a good one to it's a good one to end with and segue into the next portion of it. But yeah, yeah, I love that. That's so great. Um, okay, so obviously, uh, you know, one of the things that we like to ask, uh, you know, wherever we have somebody on the show, I know you mentioned that you have a pretty charged relationship with meditation because of your background and being a, a you know evangelical and mm -hmm. and and how that's you know, changed your way that you, mm -hmm. you know, see meditation. And, I, and I'd be curious to know, like, you know, what is one of your more, I guess, I don't know, interesting or bizarre experiences you've had trying to meditate, especially if somebody who's coming from that background and having to change, you know, your mindset around it. Um, wow, such a great question that I absolutely should have thought about ahead of time and didn't, um, which is super, super on brand for me, to be honest. So one of the reasons I have baggage, I should say, is that the particular time in evangelicalism I grew up in was really big on a certain amount of time all, every day to pray. Yeah. And like, uh, they called it quiet time and people referred to things like your prayer closet and you should have a dedicated space in your house where you go every day and you are silent and, the, and, especially for adolescents, this is pretty proven in research. We all took that as a, as a barometer for if we were good Christians or not. 
And if you did this, you were a good person, essentially. And it really ties into the Protestant work, the Protestant work ethic that America is so frequently built on. If you work really hard, you are a good person. And so that's this, this, so I have no relationship with silence because I was constantly panicking whenever I was silent, that I wasn't being silent enough and I wasn't being good enough and I wasn't doing anything. And all of a sudden, like the prayer police were going to come and fire me. Um, And so when I, and then I did a lot of work around, around prayer. I, I did a lot of work around what it could look like and how it could be. And, and prayer became action to me in some ways that is not necessarily the scope of this podcast. Um, but when I started to kind of think about like, okay, I need to reincorporate silence in my life. I need silence to become more of a part of it again. Um, and that, that needs to be an intentional thing was around the time that I started doing yoga, which was in 2016 after this massive health event from my father, which changed the course of our company. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just him. It was an event for all of us and what that kind of looked like. And the first time I tried it, I decided to try it in my car because hopefully while um, not driving. (laughs) No, 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 no. Like I went, I went, I went somewhere and I knew I had to be physically comfortable because like, I knew if I tried to do it outside and there was like a breeze that was too cold, like that's what I would concentrate on. So I could control everything in my car. I love my husband dearly, but he is like a puppy and he will find me anywhere in the house I am. So I knew it couldn't be there. Um, So I tried it there and I lasted, I thought I could have sworn to you that I had sat there in silence for five minutes and it was a minute and 12 seconds. Um, And it was excruciating and I hated it. Um, and then I started traveling a lot for work and I started realizing the value of silence. Um, when I would get up in the morning in hotels, that hotel rooms are generally silent in a creepy way. Like there's no ambient noise in them all that often. Like they're just there. And so I could, um, start going over my day and when I could make it productive, And think about like, okay, because I can't do the, let me review my day and see what I did better because then that will trip into when I was in sixth grade, I made this joke and that's why that person hates me. And I can't, I haven't drawn that barrier yet, but I can do when I start the day, let's think about how I want to live today. Yeah. I can do it one day out of 10, but that's better than zero days out of 10. Um, And so we embrace that and move forward with that. But yeah, I could have sworn to you that it was the five minute thing. I tried to do it once on a dog walk and then I lost, I lost track of the dog and it pulled me and I fell on my face. Oh. Um, that was great. See, there's a, see, there's a time and a place for time and a place. meditation and, and, and I was silence. Like, oh, I need to be moving my body because that's a huge part of my baggage too. Is like, I, you know, da, 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 da. and then typical overachiever. I was like, here's all my emotional problems. Let me tackle them with one activity. Um, <laughs> and that is not oh. how humans work. Um, so <laughs> definitely not I, how meditation works or is successful you know or is the point of yeah. it to be completely yeah. honest which is yeah. again the summary of me trying to uh, overachieve so much that I break something um yeah. which is a big part of my personality but I am <laughs> I am looking to continue I'm glad that I've met this podcast and can listen and hear more ways that people think about this because this is an area of needed growth in my life of how to sit with intentionality um, and and silence. And that needs to grow in my life rather than giving to um, the myth that I can't do it because I am anxious. Right, so. right. 
Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think that's, that's always like one of the biggest challenges, you know, when I've talked to people about trying to get them to actually develop a meditation practice for themselves or any sort of, you know, I, I'm also a personal trainer. So I've talked to people about, you know, doing physical activity and that sort of stuff. And honestly, just making the decision to try something and know that you might really suck at it is probably one of the hardest things for most people to do because oh, yeah. they're convinced that, if I'm not perfect at this the first time, everyone's going to make fun of me. Everybody's going to be watching, which in some ways is very true. There are people that are going to watch you are going to judge you are going to make fun of you and say you're doing it wrong. That's a part of anything that we do. But for the most part, everybody's in their own world and they're not even going to notice what you're doing. So, <laughs> yeah. <it's laughs> yeah. And like maybe you don't have to announce your 30 day meditation challenge on Facebook. Like maybe just do it yourself and then no one has any idea if you failed. So, yeah, like exactly. We can stop yeah, I see sometimes too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see those, you know, quite a bit on, you know, social media. Oh, people sure. put up yeah. the, hey, I'm doing this XYZ challenge or whatever. And, you know, I've done, you know, some of those myself, but usually I'm like, well, let's see, I could uh, say that I am on the 10 year meditation challenge. I've had to meditate every day for the past 10 years, <laughs> you know, cause it's like, eh, it's not really a challenge for me. It's, a way of life. And it's something that oh. I quote, I mean, you know, quite honestly have to do in order to keep myself to be the person that I want to be. So yeah, it's just about doing whatever works for you and, and, and starting somewhere and not, and, and just be okay with sucking when it starts. <laughs> and that in and of itself is the discipline. I think more than anything right. else is yeah. learning to give yourself the grace that you can't be good at everything, especially yeah. not at first. Yeah. And that it's perfectly okay to say, hey, I've been doing this for 20, 30 years and I still really suck at it, but I'm still going to keep doing it because yeah. it just brings me happiness or, you know, I feel like it's good for me. <laughs> yeah. And it, none of us really know what we're doing as yeah, humans. Just figuring it out. <laughs> we are all figuring it out as we go along. So try figuring something else out. Oh, hey, amen. I like that one. That's a good one. <laughs> Give it a run. What yeah. is it that can happen? It didn't, it didn't work. Okay. Trying again. It's, yeah. we could, we catastrophize these things a lot. And it's, yeah. it's one of the, the tricks I've learned in crisis meditation is often just to say like, what is the worst case scenario? Solve that problem in your head yeah. and take away the fear of failing on that level. Like what is the literal worst thing that could happen right here? Will that happen? Yeah. I mean, probably not, but how would you solve it if it did? Okay. You have that solution. Now go do the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It actually sparks an idea of uh, Tim Ferriss. I'm not sure if you're, uh, I know the name, familiar. I can't place it right yeah. now. Yeah. He does all the four hour work week, four hour. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, one of his practices he says is that he, he, he basically sits down and whenever he's trying to make a decision on something, he, he plays out the worst case scenario and that he's like, okay, sort of the pros and cons of both taking action and not taking action what is my biggest fear around this and what yep. can possibly go wrong and go through all the scenarios of that yep. and then solve them, fix them. Like say, how, how would it work if, you know, that did happen? Mm -hmm. How would I fix that? And then by the time you're done 90% of the time, especially when you actually write it out, um, you see that, you know, this list of this horrible worst case scenario is so small compared to the benefits that you'll get from trying it that, that just makes it easier to make decisions. <laughs> yeah. And even those of us who claim that we love spontaneity and there definitely are people who do, most of us really love a plan. Like we yeah. really love routines. 
like yeah. we we just we we like routines and yeah. so knowing knowing the outcome of things it just brings comfort um yeah. and that's real i'm i'm very famous for saying i can handle anything but ambiguity <laughs> yeah yeah oh that's a good one yeah. all right okay i know we're getting close to our to our time i want to make sure i know uh we did um uh, there's so many things that came out that I want to talk about that we're not going to get to, but that'll be uh, that'll be a reason to have you back on for another conversation. But I'd be delighted. <laughs> so um, I know we mentioned where people can find you on YouTube for yep. that, but how else can they find you? How else can they work with you and benefit from your knowledge? Well, we are at Abby Research, A-B-B-E-Y Research on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I think we are technically still on Pinterest, but I wouldn't find us there. I haven't posted anything in a while. And I am scared of both TikTok and Snapchat, so you will not find us there. But at Abby Research on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for sure. LinkedIn, my name is Kristen Donnelly, PhD there on LinkedIn. I would love it if you would uh, like and follow the Abby Research LinkedIn page, which is found pretty simply by just searching Abby Research on LinkedIn. And we're going to be, po we post there, both Dr. Aaron and myself post stuff there that we're activity our website is abby, A-B-B-E-Y hyphen research.com. Um, and there you can sign up for our newsletter, which we send out once a week with some thoughts, definitions, a YouTube video we've done. Uh, but that could be where you'll find out when we launch the podcast, um, some other things like that. We've got a lot of series on YouTube. We've touched on Colonizers World Tour and the cultural commentary around the television shows. We also have one called Welcome to My World, where I get to talk to a different person each week who's just different yeah. than me, which is every human being, about right. some way they are different than me, and we get to learn from them. Um, as we record this, this week was about somebody who's a big K-pop fan talking about finding community in K-pop wow. and what that looks like. And um, then we've got a series called Hottish Takes, where Dr. Aaron and I take some of the stuff that is making headlines. We mm -hmm. meditate on it a little bit. We marinate it a little bit. Um, and then we bring back and give you some research. It's still a hot take, but it's ish. So that we've done that we've done some work on that. And we cover a lot of um, abuse against women and male violence in that particular series. If that yeah. is something you want to learn more about. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. Well, you heard it, everybody. That's where you can find Kristen and, and learn how to how to become much more inclusive in everything that you do and change your mindset around how you view other people. And especially I know one part that you brought up that really stood out to me was like just realizing that you don't know everything about people that you meet. Um, and there's so much more to all of us. Uh, so why not be more inclusive and try and realize that we're all in it together? You know, we have a saying here in Hawaii, mai, we're all one, we're all in it together. We're all one, right? So yeah, just, I think it's fantastic. All right. Well, last question. I can't remember if when we spoke before, if I told you this one's coming, so it may be surprised or you may remember it. <laughs> um, but so uh knowing that we're unlimited in our capacity to create and to change and, and yeah. to be, um, what does it mean for you to maximize your human potential? To love everybody in front of me the best I know how in that given moment. 
Mm-hmm. That's a good one. That is really good. Can you say that again? I like that. To love everybody in front of me the best I know how at any given moment. Oh, that is perfect. Did you all hear that? That is fantastic. <laughs> That's a great definition. I, I, I love that. Being okay. able to like be fully present with that person and give your whole self to that person and be open to that person. And love is such a overused and under, under understood word. Because it is an extravagant power that we have that is mm. that powers hope and justice and goodness and kindness and uh, and rightness and reconciliation and decolonization and anti-racism and all of the power structures that we need to dismantle and rebuild, that power will come from love. And yeah. we treat it instead as though it is just, you know, a Hallmark thing or kind of whatever. And I love a good Hallmark movie and there's beautiful pieces of love in that. Um, but I'm not this like sac- saccharine does not power my life. The extravagant right. selfless love that is a verb that is patient and kind, that is good and um, craves justice at all times that's the love that will change the world and the love that does. It's the only thing that ever does and it's the only thing that ever has. And so that's the power I want to get behind. And I owe that to everybody I encounter. Yeah. Oh, that is so beautiful. Well said. Thank you. Thank you for that. That is, Thank you. Well, that's a perfect spot to end right there. That's, that's amazing. All right, everybody. I, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. There were so many amazing parts to that that I know I'm going to go back and listen to this probably at least half a dozen times just to oh, hear all the things that I missed. But really fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. You know, I always like to try and say you know a special thank you. You know, towards the end of these interviews, not just for 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 being here on the show. That's certainly one incredible gift that you've offered here, but just also for, you know, the work that you're doing and the work you're doing, not just, I guess, in the workspace, but more the work that you're doing on yourself and with others, trying to teach people how to become truly inclusive and to realize that we're all in it together. So thank you for, for that work. You know, I, I, I feel like it's incredibly important and definitely a gift to the world. So thank you for that. It's an honor to carry it out. So thank you very much. All right, everybody. Thank you again for being here today. It was fantastic having you on the show, Kristen. Thank you for being here. And again, we will we will see everybody on the next episode and hopefully get you back on to the show very soon as well. Anytime, anytime at all. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Heavily Meditated Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it with the people you love most. And if you want to learn more about how you can program your mind to unlock your unlimited potential and create the life you really want, then check out the Heavily Meditated Mentorship at heavilymeditatedpodcast.com forward slash mentorship. Until next time, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you on the next episode of the Heavily Meditated Podcast.